little preacher's exchange there <laughs> on some details um, at hand. And I want us to look to the Word of God. So pleased to be here with you. And I do have um, an affection for your pastor as we've gotten to know each other better. And he was, rightfully so, a bit apprehensive about me and and uh, what I was bringing to the table, if you will. And it was really, I think, as we've learned from one another, just a relationship just with he and I, even if none of these other things that have my name attached to it ever develop. It's just good to know a man who is preaching the Word of God, who is ministering, who's diligent, who's hardworking, and who loves his people. Uh, that's a rarity. Um, you don't find that too often. That's uh, unfortunate, but uh, nonetheless, that's true. And it's the world in which we live. Um, so I'm thankful to know Pastor Tom and, and through him even know you as well as he shared his heart for you and the congregation here and the makeup of it. And, and I see that expressed even as I look out and see you and I worship with you um, this morning. And I look forward to bringing you the word of God. I'm thankful about the opportunity that you have to expand the voice of the ministry here into a greater area so that the Lord's blessing on that as the word of God goes forth because that's what we're all about. Um, Even if you never stand here, if you name the name of Christ, you're about expanding the name of Christ wherever God takes you, whatever sphere of influence you have, that's your calling in life. Do we all agree with that? Amen. Good. And I like that. Wow, they say amen here. And Yeah. All right. You're, you're a blessed man. Sometimes you're preaching your heart out and people are just, uh, am I like dead or what's, am I, I think I'm preaching from the Bible. I think it's accurate, but no one's giving me any feedback whatsoever. So you're ready to take your marbles and go home. But I could, yeah, this is good. All right. <laughs> So we're going to look to the Word of God, and I need you to turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to dive right into the midst of a passage, and always think about these things, you're you're somewhere else and you're wondering what you're going to preach, and this is something that's been on my heart, but um, it took me several weeks to walk through verses 1 through 11 here in 1 Peter And I always wonder about how can you really do that. I'm going to dive into verse 8. We're going to look at verse 8 in 1 Peter chapter 4. And the text reads, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. A strategic verse for us, isn't it? Absolutely. And I'm just going to pray that God will help me to think even in, in these moments, the best way to communicate it to you um, so that it will edify your souls. Father God, thank you for the privilege to come before you, to look at your word, to be blessed by it, to be encouraged by it, to be rebuked by it, comforted by it, and overall instructed by it. Give us grace all to hear and give me grace to speak in Christ's name. Amen. So 1 Peter 4, and let me just read the entire passage so you can get a sense of the flow of thought. Verse 1, therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh 
has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you no longer run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that they are judged in the flesh as men. Although they are judged in the flesh as men, they will, may live in the spirit according to the will of God. Now this is really important, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint, as each one has received a special gift employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterance of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that right now? And then he says, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. And he says, amen. Say, why read the entire passage? You see this flow of thought. And it really would unfold this way, and I think it might help you to understand it. We see in verses 1 to 6, the example of Christ calls us to a new life. It's clear Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same purpose, and we have ceased from sin. We're not supposed to live the rest of our time in the flesh, but for the will of God. Then in verse 3, I, this is so important. Notice what he says. For the time has already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. And Peter's being very direct and plain here. He simply says, the time for you to live in the world and for the world and against God is over. Now you've been called to live for Christ. Christ suffered, you will suffer, and you will suffer in part because now the people to which you you once lived with, you once hung out with, you once sinned with, they're going to malign you. They aren't going to revel in your changed life. These people aren't going to say, that's wonderful for you. I'm glad your life has changed. I'm glad you're no longer on that course. They're going to say to you things like, oh, you think you're better than me. You're holier than thou. Why are you living this way? Why are you following this God who says he's a savior and he was crucified? I don't understand you. And even to a greater degree, some might even say, you're no longer my child. I no longer know you. I no longer want you. I no longer want to be around you. They are going to malign you. But there is an encouragement, he says, but understand this, God will judge them in the end. Though they judge you now, they will be judged in the end. Understand that. Keep living for Christ. So then he tells us in verse 5, they're going to be judged. And then he says in verse 6, The gospel has been preached to those who are dead, and then they respond to that gospel message, and that's true of everyone in this room today. Before you knew the Lord Jesus Christ, you were dead in your sins, were you not? 
Ephesians 2 tells us very plainly, and you were dead in your transgressions and in your sins. And I love verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2, this great statement. It indicates, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, made us alive. And now we're alive in Christ. And so that's verses 1 to 6. Christ has set the example, now follow the example of Christ. And of course we follow the example of Christ, and this is in part the theme of even Peter itself. You're suffering, Christ suffered. Christ was was maligned, you're being maligned. Uh, People misunderstand you, they misunderstand him. But follow his example, follow in his, Peter says, even in his steps. And Christ even promised this. Christ promised that if you follow me, you can expect what? Wealth and prosperity? Did he say that? No, he did not. He says, expect for the world to love you, understand you, be compassionate towards you. No, he did not. Expect for the world to do what? Hate you. Hate you. And so here's a privilege. We are confused in Christianity today. I shouldn't say that's a bit much a broad statement. Uh, some segments of Christianity today, we're confused thinking that somehow if we come to Christ, then the world is just going to be peaches and roses. It's not that. Maybe it's thorns and thistles. Maybe it's heartache. Maybe it's pain. It's most definitely persecution. The scripture is clear. For those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, they will be persecuted. And so was Christ. And then he makes this transition And we might say then in verses 7 through 11, we'll say this, the eschaton of Christ calls us to a new life. An eschaton of Christ, that is the coming of Christ, the end of all things. Christ is going to bring all the ends together. That should make us live this new life. It should motivate us to live for the Lord even more. Because he says in verse 7, the end of all things is near, therefore. And what's interesting about verse 7 Uh, you might think, well, the end of all things is near, then go and evangelize. The end of all things is near. Make sure that you're fighting for the faith. He says, first, what? Sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of what? Prayer. Prayer. And this idea that the end of all things is near influences everything from verse 7, we'll call it 7b, all the way through 11. So we should pray thoughtfully, he says in verse 7. Then in verse 8, what you were going to look at, we should love, and we'll say we should love sacrificially. This is clearly what's being taught in verse 8. Then in verse 9, because we're thinking the end of all things is near, let me live appropriately, then in verse 9, I should share sacrificially. I need to be a person who is hospitable, and notice what he says, without complaint. The end of all things is near, let me live appropriately. Then so in verses 10 and 11, let me serve responsibly. Because this is what he tells us. Each one of you has received a special gift, employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a special gift, a spiritual gift, even talents that you should offer to the Lord. It it blessed my heart to... Um, sing with you uh, this morning, and then the transition, uh, and even the musical talents that I saw here. 
I didn't expect that. We had one set of worship earlier and then another set of worship. And I was just thinking even here, here, here was an expression of what we see in Peter of someone using their giftedness, their talents for the Lord. But in the midst of it is this call to love, this call to love. See, imminency, that is, Christ's return is important in Peter. Go back with me to chapter 1. See, this is the motivation for a loving life is Christ is coming back again. Imminency, we can say, that is the the imminent return of Christ, uh, the sudden return of Christ influences our choices. Chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is what? Imperishable, it's undefiled, it won't fade away, it's reserved, it's protected in verse 5. It's going to be revealed in the last time. The last time. We await this. I'm not sure about you. I'm sure that you would agree with me that all of us here, don't you long for the day when you'll be done with the trappings of this world and you'll be done with the trappings of your own flesh that you can set it aside. And that should motivate us, though, how we live presently. Christ is coming again, therefore let me love sacrificially. Christ is coming again, let me use my giftedness. Imminency is important in this book. It's also true in other places in Scripture. Let me just give you a sampling of it. Um, Romans chapter 13. Romans 13. In Romans 13, the sense of Christ coming again is important. Romans 13, verses 11 through 14, it says, Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to be awakened from your sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we have first believed. Verse 12, the night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of, of light. Verse 13, let us behave properly as in the day. Christ is coming again. You would see the same thing in 1 Corinthians ten eleven. You see it in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, this idea, Christ is coming again, behave appropriately. We see it in Hebrews chapter 10. Let's just look at Hebrews briefly. Hebrews 10. Hebrews chapter 10, familiar text, beginning in verse 23 of Hebrews 10. He says here, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who has promised is faithful, and let us consider how to do what? Simulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking your own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, so he says, all the more, as you see the day drawing what? Near. Behave properly, is what he's saying. Um. Pastor Leek mentioned that we have uh, five children and three adults and two that claim adulthood, although they're still teenagers. Uh, And that's just a part of life. All of us did that. All of us, when we were 15, thought we were 25 or 35. That's just a part of life, I suppose. 
And um, one thing that is interesting is in parenting. Um, I remember as a kid, and my dad would go away somewhere. Um, there were times when I took privileges, we'll say. I took privileges. And there was something I always listened for. My dad was a vet, and uh, he, so he'd, he'd have the, the garage was set up, had the electric garage door that would go up. And when I heard that electric gar- garage door, what do you think I did? Oh, you know it. I scrambled to make things that were in order because I knew dad was back. And, um, but if there was ever an occasion where he didn't pull into the garage and came in another way, I may have been in trouble because <laughs> I wasn't alerting. I wasn't thinking, the time is near. <laughs> he said 2 o'clock. Wait a minute, it's 2 o'clock. So let me put things in order. But with the imminency of Christ, it doesn't work that way. At any moment, Christ can come for his church. And it's too late to scramble. It's too late to say, oh, I'll love now. I'll give now. I'll serve now. I'll sacrifice now. I'll be kinder now. I'll be warmer now. No, Christ has come. So that's why Peter says the end of all things is near. That's why Paul says the time. That's why the writer of Hebrews says near time so that we can be motivated to live as if Christ had already given us a time. I will be back to that exact time. As a matter of fact, it's 60 seconds from now. The question would be, if it were 60 seconds from now, what would change in your life? Ah. What would you do differently if you knew, in fact, the Lord Jesus Christ, the clouds would open up again, and he would return in 60 seconds, would you say, oh, I'll continue just the way that I am? And I would think that everyone must answer that question the same way. Ah, I need to change some things because I'm not behaving as if the time is truly near. See, this is really the context of what Peter is saying here. So he says, if we go back to 1 Peter 4, verse 8, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. We need to understand, what does this mean, love covering a multitude of sins? There are false views in the Catholic Church about what this means to love covering a multitude of sins. There are false applications in what I'll call the pseudo-evangelical church when it comes to love covering sins because at times uh, they confuse love covering sin and a cover-up. There's a vast difference, isn't there? A cover-up is when we know something has been violated, a person has been violated, biblical principles have been violated, and what happens? We try to cover it up for the sake of saving face. And then there's also personal hurt. People have hurt us. You have been hurt at some point in time. And the question is now, how do I respond to that person who's hurt me? How do I deal with this? And so we gain some understanding. I hope that as we walk through this text, you will be a person who can respond to it. We can help maintain unity in the body of Christ. You can emulate the Lord Jesus Christ because if there is anyone that was ever hurt, if there is anyone that was ever offended, it would be the Lord Jesus Christ, would it not? 
And this is why Peter would say, follow then in his steps. And I think it would help us heal fractured relationships. And sometimes those fractured relationships are within the body of Christ. So I want to look at this in three parts or three divisions in this verse. The first is this, live with the priority of love. That's the first one, live with the priority of love. What's the basis of that? Notice what he says in verse 8, above all. So there's the priority. These two words are really signaling this idea that as we think about the Lord Jesus Christ and his imminent return, we should be a people who are loving, who are caring. There's a force that's behind it. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. This idea of love is important in Peter. Verse 22, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for sincere love of the brethren. Notice what he says next. Fervently love one another from the, what does he say? From the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. So you have been born again, therefore you're called to love and you do it with sincerity and you do it also fervently so there's a passion to it, there's an intensity to it, but the seed of it is the heart. It has to come from the heart. And in verse 23, he reminds them, you've been born again. People who are born again are people who will love because that's clearly the example of the Lord Jesus Christ for God so loved the world that he gave. So there is a priority that is necessary there, which is to love. We see it also in chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verse 17 in Peter. Here he says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. And then in chapter 3, we see it in chapter 3. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted and humble in spirit. So when he says here brotherly, that is show brotherly kindness towards those in the body. So we're called to live with the priority of love. Here's a second consideration. Live with the intensity of love. Live with the intensity of love. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 4. Live with the intensity of love. Notice what he says there. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. So just this idea, keep fervent, fervency. First, it's just this idea, keep, to hold on to. It has a, a, an imperative force. That is, he's commanding them to hold on to love. Well, the implication is clear. It says you are a loving body, but make sure that your, your grasp on love is not loosened. Make sure that you hold on to it with all your might. Make sure that you're cultivating love because if you don't cultivate love, what can happen? It can grow stale. It can turn into even indifference. Notice the next word. So we are to keep it, that is we cultivate it, maintain to it, hold on to it. But notice as well, um, fervent. Very intense word. Um, the ESV translates it actually earnestly. Um, another translation is be constant in your love, or it can mean without ceasing. 
And interesting, one translation says that it means to be wholehearted in your love for one another. So constant, earnest, without ceasing, wholehearted in your love. A very intense word here that's used. It, it was used of an athlete when he is exercising and stretching out his muscles, if you can imagine that. The word was actually used uh, of a horse when he was at full gallop. Imagine that. Imagine a horse galloping, and you can notice the strain that is on him as he goes. It's saying he is fervent. And he says, that's the picture I'm giving you, that you're to be fervent in your love for one another. But something must happen. If we even go back to that thought about keeping, holding on to, maintaining. Um, the writer of Hebrews talks about the idea of let no root of bitterness spring up among you. A root of bitterness, a weed that can spring up in the heart. And one thing that you'll notice is that weeds can pop up just about anywhere. Do you fight weeds in your yard or somewhere? And um, in California this past year, we got record rain in California. At times it looked like it does here, but it was only for a brief time. And now the summer's here and everything's brown again and parts of Southern California, but record rain, growth everywhere, um, beautiful area. I, I saw plants and I saw flowers that I'd never seen, and we've been there. I've been in California now since 1989. There's things that I never noticed that we had. But one thing that comes with the flowers are what? Weeds. We were in our yard several weeks ago. The family got out. I says, we need to get into the yard um, because our neighbors are going to not think well of us if we don't take care of some of these weeds. And we got out there, and it was hours of picking weeds. Along with the beautiful flowers, there's a weed. Along with the roses, there was a weed. Along with the other group growth, there were weeds all around us, and we picked weeds and weeds and weeds all around. And I begin to think about that image of what the writer of Hebrews is communicating. Let no root of bitterness spring up among you. You have to maintain, you have to do spiritual weeding. Because if you don't, you won't maintain biblical love. But then this next word simply says, love, keep fervent in your love. Now what's interesting how Peter writes is he, used, he puts an article in front of the word love. So he says, uh, keep fervent in the love. So the question is, what love to which is he referring and I believe what he's saying here is the love that you have experienced as a believer, that love, that preeminent love, the love that Christ showed you when that love was shown abroad in your hearts, that love that drew you to himself, make sure that that love is in motivating you in your love towards one another. Display that love towards others. Jesus taught on this love, Matthew 22, Matthew 24. John taught on this love, John 13, 1 John 2. He taught about this love, and he says here that it's one another. And obviously here, he's just capturing the community involvement. Why? Why does he say one another? Well, it's obvious. Christ has told us elsewhere that one sign of true discipleship is that you love one another. What Peter is saying Remember, Peter is writing to a church there in batter. They're, they're being persecuted harshly. Families are being torn apart. They're, they've lost jobs. They've lost their well-being. Some have lost their lives. They've been tortured. 
And he's saying to them, make sure that you love one another. You're already fighting one battle with the world. What is going to happen if you begin to fight a battle within? All of us have a battle within. It's called the flesh, is it not? We're already fighting the world system against us. So we have one battle that's on the outside, and then there's this internal battle that we have. And so what Peter is saying, you're already being persecuted from without. Why are you going to begin to have hurt and pain and difficulty even in your body? So I say to you, even right now, hope. Make sure that you maintain your love with one another. The world system does not want to hear your message. They will constantly fight against you. You cannot fight two battles. The world, and then now you're fighting a battle within the church. On, you know, a time here, we've been here for about a week, I guess. And uh, two of our sons, um, Marine officers, who just went through some special training. We came there to celebrate that, and we visited. And, and then um, two nights ago, I think it was, we went down to the mall, and we're there to, uh, we saw the Lincoln Memorial, and I've been there before, and Korean War Memorial. Then we went over to the World War II Memorial, and I've been there several times. And I was just reminded again of even what is happening in Peter and what I might even say to you. If you're at the memorial, if you've been there before, at one end, it would say Pacific, and the other end is Atlantic. And it's talking about what is called the two theaters of the battle that took place in World War II. And surrounding um, the memorial, representative of the 50 states and our, um, that are there. And I, I thought about that. Here's the Pacific, which is amazing, and mainly Marines fighting in the Pacific, obviously the Army as well, the Atlantic, Europe, even parts of Africa. Amazing to think that we were fighting the Allied forces on these two major places in the planet. And I begin to think about us in the church. We cannot fight these two battles and do well. There's already a battle from outside that want to suppress our message. They don't want to hear the truths that we communicate, and they are confused about these truths, and these truths are actually beneficial to them. That's how you came to faith. Someone shared with you, you are a sinner, friend. Here is Christ, and here is the answer. You can be saved today if you would just give your heart to the Lord. No, you cannot continue in that lifestyle and say that you're a believer in Christ. And someone shared that message with you, and God opened your eyes, and you came to faith. Amen? Or some part of that message. The world constantly is telling us and will continue to tell us that that's a message of hate. That's a message of indifference. That's a message of intolerance. But it's the most loving thing you can tell a person. Do you agree with that? We're facing that battle. But then the battle within, to battle with the pastor, to battle with the deacon board, to battle with one another, to hold grudges with the person that's on this side of the room and the person that's on, on that side of the room, you can't do well. So he says, make sure that you keep fervent in your love for one another. Here's a third consideration for you in this text. Live in view of the outcome of love. So we first live with the priority of love 
we live with the intensity of love, but we also live in view of the outcome of love. And notice what it says, because love covers a multitude of sins. It covers a multitude of sins. What's interesting here in the wording now, Peter removes the article. There's no article here now. So why is that? I think before he was identifying a specific type of love that should be motivating you, and now he removes it. And normally when that happens, he's now just speaking of the quality of the love that you're supposed to show to one another. Make sure that you're showing this quality of love with one another. You, have a, you are people who've been forgiven. Forgive others. You are people who have received, then give to others. You are people who have been loved, now you should love then others. Some are confused about love covering a multitude of sins, so they say that it means that we never confront anyone when it comes to sin because love is just going to cover it. And we hear people saying that, well, I'll allow love to cover it. There may be a time where that's appropriate. That may be. And you hear horror stories in churches where people have been uh, abused and taken advantage of because they have misunderstood this text and thinking that somehow it was loving to ignore something that's happening in the church. In the church, it is not. There's some that take it to the extreme and say that, well, love is another atonement. So when you are covering the love of others, it's an atonement for you. Well, that is not what Peter is saying. It's plain, I think, what Peter is saying is that a loving Christian community will demonstrate consistent forgiveness towards one another. You've been hurt. The question is now, what is going to motivate me to forgive? I've, I've been loved. Allow me to love. I've been offended. Now, how do I address this offense? Well, God has shown grace to me. Let me show grace to another person. And in part, this question even answers what Peter was asking. We won't go there. don't have time to go there. Matthew 18. And we think about Peter's question about love and how often we should forgive one another. Then in Matthew 18, Jesus explains it about church discipline which is a compliment to even love because what we can do with the person when they're in sin, the most loving thing we can do is to confront them and say, friend, return to Christ. Forsake that sin. I'm expressing to you a very loving word from the Lord. There have been times in the church when um, I can give you an example of being in a former church. As a matter of fact, it was before I went out and pastored. I was at Grace Community Church and uh, there was a church discipline situation that was there, and we confronted the person. They did not forsake their sin. We went to the final step of church discipline, and they were excommunicated. They went to another church, and that other church called me. And I was thinking that they wanted to be consistent biblically and say, what was the situation? We want to be consistent with Scripture, and let us know the situation. And they didn't. The only thing they said to me was, You guys have a reputation, you like doctrine, but you don't show love. So we're going to accept him into our body and love him. I said, friends, do you know what he did? Here are the people that he took advantage of, this young lady that now, and I won't tell you the details, this happened, and you're going to take him in, and you call that love? I'll never forget it. It It's been nearly, my goodness, how old am I? Let's see here. (laughs) It's been a while ago. (laughs) 
and said, you, we want to show love. That's cover up. That's not covering. We wanted to cover it by confronting and says, if you forgive, if you repent, we'll continue to love you and we can move on and help you. That's cover up. And people get hurt that way. Let me give you some pointers though. How do you practice it? Then I'm going to close our thoughts. How, do, how can you practice this? Let me give you some thoughts here. Number one is this. Start by remembering the cost of your forgiveness. So if love is going to cover a multitude of sins, let me start by remembering the cost of my forgiveness. And especially in view of 1 Peter, Jesus Christ suffered in the flesh. Number two is this. Start by considering the privilege of imitation. Consider the privilege of imitation. That is, when I show love towards another person, I'm emulating the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Imitation. And this is something that is vital throughout Peter. Imitation. Three would be this. Start by remembering the imminency of Christ's return. Christ is returning again. How should I behave? Do I really want to be found with weeds in my heart? No. Here's another consideration. Ask if absorbing the hurt will serve the body of Christ. There are times, yes, you have been offended, and let me absorb it. I don't know that I need to confront the person on this. Here's another consideration. Ask if the offense is caused by your pride. Ask if the offense is caused by your pride. What do I mean by that? Let's all be honest here. Aren't there times when we have been offended, but we're really not genuinely offended, it's because our pride has been hurt. There's a difference. We can say that we're offended, you've offended me. No, what's been offended is your pride, your own self-worth. And sometimes what we need to do is take a step back and say, I'm going to confront that brother. Maybe you don't need to confront that brother. Perhaps you need to confront your own heart and your own principles and your own values, which you have made up, and it's really a matter of pride. All of us in this room, you know uh, that at some point in time, it was just a matter of pride. It's really not true offense. Here's another consideration. Keep your account short with those who hurt you. That's just 1 Corinthians 13. It doesn't keep an account of hurts wrong. Short accounts with people. I think this is important for you as well. Be the first to seek reconciliation when offended. I've been hurt, and sometimes people will say to themselves, I've been offended, I'm going to wait for them to come and apologize. Where is that? Where do we find that? I've been offended, let me go to that brother and seek reconciliation. Because at times, we can also say this as well, there may have been times when a person has hurt you, and they're not really aware of it. And now you simply need to go to them and say, that was offensive to me, uh, that was hurtful, but let's reconcile. Here's another practical consideration for you. Uh, avoid allowing a double hurt. What do I mean by that? Over the years, many years, I've talked with people and I've said this to this time and time again. They have been offended by someone and I've said this to them. Why are you allowing them to hurt you again? That's what I mean by the double hurt. What's the double hurt? 
that person has been offended, and let's say that it is genuine, and what they do is they hold that against that person, thinking that somehow holding it against them is going to hurt them, is going to get back at them. And who's hurt? That person. That person generally has moved on with life. They may not even be aware of the hurt. And that person's now sulking in their past. That's a double hurt. Here's something else for you. Determine that the glory of God is primary in all things. If you look again at 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter 4, the glory of God is primary in all things. Verse 11, in the end, as we are to pray, verse 7, as we are to love, verse 8, as, as we are to show hospitality, as, as we are to show our gifts, and then in verse 11, in the end, in all things, God may be glorified to him who belongs to glory and dominion forever and ever. So I ask myself a question, how will this glorify God? I need to forgive. The writer of all our scriptures are influenced at times by their experiences, and Peter is no different. His experiences would influence how he writes. Think about Peter as he writes about persecution. He would see the Lord Jesus Christ be persecuted by the religious parties of the Jews and see how he handled it. He would be there and see the Lord Jesus Christ taken away and, and he could see his body bruised and he could see him hanging on a cross so he could write with the sense of fervency, if you will, follow in his steps. He could write about love because he saw the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrating love towards those that he would heal and those that he would teach and those that he would feed. He would hear the Lord Jesus Christ teach about love and loving one another. He would hear those words for Christ himself. He would know that Jesus Christ was the example to follow. So the question is, how do we do this? It goes back to the example of Christ. Go with me to 1 Peter 1. We looked at it briefly before, but 1 Peter 1, verse 22. And my final thought is this. Let me give you a word picture, if you will. And we'll, the phrase will be, this will be our phrase. Secretariats, that is the horse, the racehorse, secretariats, dominance, and 1 Peter 1.22 is a final thought. You say, what's the connection here? I'll, I'll give it to you in a moment. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. From the heart. We must love from the heart. But the question is, but my heart at times, I'm not sure if I can trust it uh, isn't a portion of the heart even damaged? Uh, how do I love from the heart? At times, do I even know my heart? He says here, love from the heart. The year is 1973, Belmont Stakes. Something happened not too far from here, actually. Um, the Belmont Stakes, as they begin, the horses are out of the gate. And all of a sudden you come around that first turn and there's this horse, secretariat, that just is galloping. Remember that word? 
That means it can refer to a horse in its full gallop. He is galloping, and, and now he takes a lead. He's up by one length, and the length is just the length of a horse. He's up by two lengths. He's up by three lengths. He's up by five lengths. Now it's 10. Now it's 15. They're coming around the final turn, and they're wondering that he's going to kill this horse. He cannot possibly keep up this pace. Now he's up by 20 lengths. He's 20 lengths ahead. He's 25 lengths ahead. He's 27 lengths ahead. And people are astonished at what is happening, all these other thoroughbreds that are in the race with him. But Secretariat is just galloping with this sense of fervency. He is wholehearted. He is constant. He is earnest. He is intense. He is 30 lengths ahead. He wins by 31 lengths. And the story goes, and if you can watch the account of it, actually when he is coming to the finish, he is still propelling. 31 lengths. Never happened before. And it was actually the first time when any horse had done the Belmont in under two minutes. He did it in a minute, 59 seconds, point four. Only one other horse has done it, done it before as man of war. I'm sure never be repeated again. 31 lengths. And it's not like Secretary was against, um, you know, ponies, Right? He's against other people that were thinking he could win, he could win, he could win. 31 lengths. Peter says, love one another fervently from the heart. From the heart. What was the key to Secretary's victory? If you know the story, it was his heart. Thoroughbreds, um, generally their heart is about eight and a half pounds. Imagine that pumping the oxygen into them, pumping the oxygen into them as they race. Secretariats, get this, 22 pounds. 22 pounds. So no wonder he could be so fervent. No wonder even as one translation says, fervently love, wholeheartedly love, earnestly love, constantly love. And this is why Peter would say, fervently loved from the heart. He understood that now you've been born again. You have a new heart. It is not the heart of stone that you once had. It is not the heart of stone, according to verse 3, where you used to go about in carousing and drinking and drunkenness and sexual parties. You don't do that anymore. It is not the heart that was an enemy with God. It is a heart that is different now. He took away the heart of stone and he gave you a heart of flesh and now you have the spirit of God in you and now you can take on even the mind of Christ and live like Christ and follow Christ and follow in his steps and do it from the heart. 22 pounds. So all of us in one sense, we should pray that we have this heart that Peter has and maybe the heart of a secretariat as we run this race, knowing that at any moment, the Lord Jesus Christ can come for his church. Father, thank you for your word you give us. Help us to take it and apply it in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.